The reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. And that's on page 1160 in the Church Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 16 through to chapter 5, verse 4. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's, um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the grace that we've been singing about. Thank you that uh, we know that one day, if we're trusting in you, that you will, as we've sung, lead us to heaven. But we pray that as we uh, live this life on earth and as we think today about our physical health, that you'd help us to learn both from uh, the experience of medicine and from the wisdom of the Bible how we should live and how we should best live to honor you in this world while we're here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're uh, carrying on with our series of uh, talks on the human journey. If you've been here, you know that we've been going through that for a few weeks. We've been trying to think biblically about health, so the talks are slightly different in that we're not just looking at one passage in the Bible, looking all over a bit, um, and, and there'll be a bit which you think, well, that's not talking about the Bible at all, but hope we'll see that things um, come together. We've already looked at what it means to be human. We looked at the start of life, and we considered when life begins, and then last week we thought about marriage and sexuality. And today we're going to think about our physical health, and ask ourselves, how should I live? Stephen Gerrard has just retired from Liverpool Football Club after 17 years' fantastic service. But at the age 35, he's getting a bit too old, isn't he? A bit too old, too slow, less agile than he was. Admittedly, he's going to go and play for LA Galaxy for a couple of years, but he knows that his playing days are over, or nearly over. And it's rather shocking, really, to think, isn't it, that our peak physical fitness is somewhere between 25 and 35, and after that it's downhill. <laughs> so if you're someone here who's under 25, then perhaps that isn't shocking, but for most of us it's a bit of a shocking thought. But actually most of us are going to live longer after our peak than we did before it. Of course some people look incredibly good at even at an advanced age. As a GP, I was often amazed at how youthful some of my elderly patients looked, though equally I was often also um, a surprise to find um, that someone who looked really old actually was younger than me. But the truth is that to use Paul's words that we've just heard from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, our outer nature is wasting away. 
earlier in that same chapter, um, Paul talked about knowing God through Jesus Christ as the wonderful treasure. So what, to know the Lord, to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ is a wonderful treasure. And we have that wonderful treasure in what he calls jars of clay, bodies that are fragile, bodies that will break and wear out. So it is worth noting that he uh, describes all sorts of momentary, all sorts of troubles as just slight momentary affliction, because of course he sees it all in the context of eternity and the amazing future that awaits us as a Christian believer. Our human lifespan is uh, limited. Um, the average lifespan has increased with improved living conditions and health care, but the upper limits have remained pretty much the same, really. Wikipedia lists the oldest people with ages somewhere in the mid-hundred-and-teens, 113 to 116. There's one French lady recorded who died in 1997 at 122. Many of us will live to our 80s, but in years to come, more people will live perhaps to 100. But the aging process is wired in to us. It's part of our genetic makeup. And it's, it's interesting to note that while in the Bible, in the early parts of the Bible, there are um, records of extremely long-lived people, um, just before the flood, God said that man's days would be 120 years. And that seems to be the maximum that people live, really. There are, as I've said, a few people who've lived to that age. Most of us don't get anywhere near it. And in the Bible, after that, there were one or two. So like Moses, he got to 120. But most people are recorded as living far below, below that limit. We're going to think another, another Sunday about health globally. But today, we're just going to think of us in the UK um, or the West. Um, and just thinking of that, we know that, of course, many people don't make the normal lifespan. If we think of normal lifespan as being 80, 80 to 90, or average in the UK is about 82, 83, a little bit more. Lots of people don't make that, of course, and they don't make it because of illness or an accident occurring at a young age. There are lots of things that affect our physical health and reduce our lifespan. And some of those things we can't do anything about. In fact, lots of those things we can't. There are a lot of genetic diseases um, that can affect people in varying ways. But even things like coronary heart disease can have a genetic element. Um, environment can be important. So there are some things that we can do about environment, but a lot that we can't. So think about skin cancers and people in Australia or South Africa. Perhaps they can do a little bit about it, but you can't completely do do away with the environment. And infection is a major factor in many parts of the world. Just think about Ebola. Think about how many people have died because of that. So thankfully, it's not a major factor for us in the West, at least not while we still have antibiotics that deal with infections. So lots of things that we can't change, but there are things that we can change and that do affect um, our health. There are factors that, have, that we have control over, so things to do with our lifestyle. And some of the areas that, uh, if we think about the things from which we're most likely to be ill and to die eventually in the West, then we can think about how perhaps we can change those a little bit. So the, the main things are cancer, coronary heart disease, stroke, lung disease, and liver disease. In England and Wales, in, uh, uh, for people under 75, it's estimated that those areas account for 150,000 deaths a year. So that's, that's people dying much younger than they, they ought to live if they live their full lifespan. 
And the Department of Health estimates that 30,000, i.e. one in five of those, so a fifth of those, could be avoided. But cancer is the, is the biggest killer, thinking about the UK as a whole and, and all ages now, not just under 75. So in 2012, there were over 160,000 deaths from cancer in the UK. It used to be uh, said that a third, but now it's said that more like half of us will get cancer at some point in our lives. And more than one in four of us will actually die from it. There have been huge advances. At our Lent talks, I spoke about the advances in treatment for leukemia and lymphoma, for example. Um, cancer death rates in the UK have fallen by around a fifth, by 20% in the last 40 years, and by about 10% or, or one uh, uh, a 20th, uh, a tenth rather, over, over the last decade. So fallen by a fifth in 20% in 40 years and 10% just in the last decade. But although the mortality rates are declining, the number of people actually dying from cancer is predicted to continue to rise because of our aging and expanding population. There are lots of causes, but some of the causes for some times for some cancers include smoking, obesity, and alcohol. They're important factors in some cancers. In fact, it's suggested that in the UK now, obesity may be becoming a more significant factor overall than smoking in, in cancer, or in some cancers. The screening programs have some value, but they're still relatively limited. Lack of awareness or just leaving it too late to report symptoms is a factor. And so we have public health campaigns to raise awareness, though of course that brings added anxiety. And three out of five cancers are diagnosed in those over 65. And despite this fact that actually, you know, between a third or nearly half of us are going to get cancer at some point in our lives, it is still the thing that most of us fear most. Coronary heart disease, heart attacks and heart failure still kills lots of people each year. So in the UK, about 73,000 people die each year. So one in every six man, men will die of that and one in every 10 women will die of coronary heart disease. And what are the things that uh, contribute to it and that we can do something about? Well, they're smoking, obesity, high blood pressure. They're all risk factors that we can do something about. Of course, there are other things that we can do nothing about. So our family history, we can't change. If you're a man, I'm afraid your risk is higher than a woman, and we can't do anything about that. And as we get older, which we can't do anything about, our risk increases as well. So we have no choice over those factors. Other things like lipid or fat levels are related to risk, but some of even that may be inherited. So we should change what we can and accept what we can't. Stroke is a devastating condition. There are about 110,000 strokes each year in the UK. It's the third most common cause of death. About one in four people who have a stroke will die and one in two, or half, every, you know, one out of every two person who has a stroke will be dependent on some form of care for help with their daily activities. Stroke management has improved, and um, there are new tests and treatments, and the importance of early intervention after a mini-stroke, after a TIA is recognized, reduces stroke, and actively treating people with atrial fibrillation in a regular heartbeat with blood thinning drugs as a priority because atrial fibrillation is a major cause of stroke. But again, lifestyle issues are again an important risk factor. So diet, smoking, 
excess alcohol and lack of exercise are all things that can contribute to our risk of stroke. And think about lung disease, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, is a name for a collection of lung diseases where there is damage to the lung and symptoms of breathlessness. And unfortunately, it's a cause of many uh, emergency admissions to hospital. And the main cause is smoking. Some causes are caused by dust, by fumes, by air pollution and genetic causes, but they're much rarer. So COPD causes about 25,000 deaths a year in the UK. And for people who smoke, then stopping is the single most effective way to reduce their risk of getting the condition. And then finally, liver disease. Liver disease causes far fewer deaths, but actually it's the one thing that is rising, increasing, uh, or the number of deaths is increasing in the UK. And the main causes of that are, first cause is obesity, then excess alcohol, and undiagnosed hepatitis, often due to sexual transmission or shared needles and drug taking. Of course, there are all these things, there are many other causes, but some of these are some of the things that are significant and things that we can do something about. So thinking about people who drink alcohol, too many people in the UK drink in excess of the recommended limit of 21 units of men a week for men and 14 units a week for women, and also having two days alcohol-free uh, each week. So given that there are things that we can do, how are we going to improve our chances? What can we do to try to improve our health? Particularly if we're younger and we've got a lot of life ahead of us, what are we going to do to try to make sure we stay healthy as best we can? Just thinking about cancer again, which is the biggest killer. How could we, if we, could we think about reducing our risks? Cancer Research UK estimates that just over four in 10 cancers could be prevented by lifestyle changes. So in the last five years, they reckon that in the UK, 600,000 cases of cancer could have been prevented. For some cancers, there is a very definite link. And for others, such as prostate or testicular cancer, there are no known lifestyle factors. But overall, what should we do? Well, it's obvious, I don't need to tell you, do I? You have to, the advice is don't smoke, keep a healthy body weight, reduce alcohol, eat a healthy balanced diet, keep active, avoid certain infections such as sexually transmitted human papillomavirus, stay safe in the sun and avoid occupational hazards such as chemicals at work. Well, we might think we're thinking about it here in church and we might think, well, in general, Christ in general Christians don't smoke, Hopefully they don't drink to excess. They don't engage in immoral sexual behavior and perhaps are also careful in the sun. But of course that's not always true, certainly not before becoming a Christian or even sadly after conversion. But even if we say, well, no, we don't do those things, then for perhaps for the church in general, for Christians, for the West in general, it still leaves these things that are very significant, eating a healthy diet, keeping a healthy body weight, and keeping active. And not doing these latter things also contributes to the risk of type 2 diabetes, as well as many other medical conditions. So, thinking again just about smoking. Smoking is very definitely linked to a variety of diseases. It's the largest single cause of cancer in the UK. It's linked to an estimated 19% of cancer cases each year. 
but it's also a major factor in COPD, lung disease, as well as very significant in heart and stroke disease. And then obesity is a risk factor for many conditions, including high blood pressure, heart, heart disease, infertility, various cancers, stroke, type 2 diabetes, osteoarthritis, back pain, depression, and liver disease. And so if we're going to deal with that, then we have to think about weight. And of course, weight is related to the balance between calories eaten and calories burnt. And uh, it's easier to cut a certain number of calories from the daily diet than it is to burn an equivalent number of calories in exercise. Exercise programs may not actually lead to as much calorie burn as we think. Um, and the resting metabolic rate may change. And there's also a tendency to eat more when we exercise. But although, although watching diet, the diet is more important for weight loss, exercise does contribute to it. And, and on its own, apart from that, exercise is very good for reducing stress and anxiety, for improving mood and reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, and some cancers. So it's suggested that as adults, we should do 150 minutes of moderate exercise each week, such as brisk walking or cycling or gardening. So that's sort of half an hour a day for five days a week. And of course, two-thirds of adults in the UK, many of us don't do that, and we don't do that because we're too busy. Um, but let's now look to the Bible. Let's turn to the Bible and just think how the Bible can help us to think about our personal health. First thing to say is that unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die, either from some disease or accident. So just remember what we read in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. We're mortal and we will die. But as Christians, we can look forward to, as verse 17 of chapter 4 says, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So actually, it's not unusual if at some point we develop a serious illness. It's part of living in a fallen world. That we shouldn't be so surprised as if we thought, goodness me, I thought that would never happen to me. But that, having said that, that doesn't mean that we should be careless about our health. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is telling his readers that they should run away from sexual immorality and reminds them with these words. So he says, do you, know, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're to look after our bodies, not least because the Holy Spirit is in us if we're Christians. There are um, some areas of lifestyle uh, where the Bible is quite clear. So, for example, about alcohol and its use, there are lots of, there's lots of advice and warning in Scripture. Some of the history parts of the Bible tell us about um, incidents which serve as a warning of the dangers of getting drunk. So, for example, both Noah and Lot caused ongoing troubles by their drunken behavior. You can read about that later if you want to in Genesis chapters 9 and 19. And Proverbs has various warnings about the dangers of alcohol. So Proverbs 23, Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 to 35 says this, and just think how, how good a description of drinking to excess this is. So Proverbs 23, 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? 
Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eye will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on the top of the rigging. They hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? So there in those verses, written many years ago, we have there descriptions of excess alcohol causing injury, causing red eyes, hallucinations, memory loss, and addiction. And then in the New Testament, we have there are clear instructions to avoid getting drunk. So in Ephesians 5, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Or in 1 Peter 4, verse 3 and onwards, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 10, Paul again lists some of the characteristics of the unrighteous or wicked who will not inherit the kingdom of God, and included in those characteristics are the greedy and drunkards. <clears throat> so the Bible does have warnings against the dangers of excess alcohol, but we do need to see that sensible, moderate use is also described in the Bible. So use of alcohol isn't prohibited. Remember Jesus' first miracle at the wedding in Cana when he changed water into wine, John chapter 2. Or think about the accusations that the religious leaders made against Jesus, eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, Luke chapter 5, verse 29. And Paul, who, as we've just seen, has warned the Ephesians and the Corinthians against drunkenness, advised Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Notice he said a little wine. And maybe that advice was particularly sensible because of the poor quality of water. But it's interesting that today we get changing advice about um, alcohol and there does seem to be some suggestion that small amounts of alcohol can be beneficial to health, although all the changing reports do get a bit confusing, don't they? So the Bible is clear that it's not wrong for Christians to drink alcohol, but it's wrong to become drunk or to lose control of our faculties or to harm our health. But of course, for some people, even a small amount of alcohol will be disastrous. For those who are dependent on alcohol, then um, total abstinence is generally the only way to remain well and sober. It's sad, isn't it, to think of someone like Charles Kennedy dying early at age 55 from a massive hemorrhage from his alcoholic liver disease. So even if we don't have a problem ourselves, we may need to abstain from alcohol to help others and not put a stumbling block in their way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 to 13, um, Paul is telling us that although things in themselves may be okay for us, and in that chapter he's talking about this argument is about food offered to idols, but we can apply it to other things as well, and we can apply it to alcohol as well. So although something might be okay for us, 
we may need to avoid it for the sake of others. So moving on just to think about for a few moments just about smoking. When we think about smoking, of course the Bible has nothing to say about tobacco because it was unknown. But unlike alcohol, which even in which may in moderation even have health benefits, smoking is most definitely always harmful. Of course, this wasn't always known, and so in the past it was normal for Christians to smoke. Some of it was cultural. I can think of uh, in the Netherlands, in Holland, of previous generations of devout Calvinist preachers with their big cigars. But of course, with today's knowledge, there's no doubt about the harm, and so as Christians, smoking isn't good stewardship of our bodies. But we do need to remember that nicotine addiction is powerful, so we need to be careful not to judge those who smoke but want to stop but are finding it difficult, a difficult thing to do. And then we come to overeating. Gluttony is something that we might joke about but not take so seriously. And again, Proverbs has some good warnings for us. So in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 1 to 3 and then 20 to 21, Proverbs 23. When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. And then verse 20. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. And then in Proverbs 25, verse 16, there's a wonderful warning if you're someone who has a sweet tooth. Just listen to what that proverb says. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. And Proverbs 28, verse 7, he who keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. And in the New Testament, Paul warns against making a god of our stomach. So in Philippians 3, 17 to 19, Paul says this, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as, often, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Food is a good gift from God to be enjoyed, but gluttony, overeating, is bad for us, and we're warned against it. <clears throat> and then one other area just to think about is our need for rest. Burnout through overwork will damage our health. We need time for uh, relaxation and for recuperation. And in the Gospels, we see that the Lord Jesus um, regularly took time out to be alone and to pray. And we too need to have time out, not just for our spiritual health, but also for our physical health also. But we do need to keep all this stuff in perspective, all this stuff about health and lifestyle. And it's right that we have a healthy interest in our physical health, but we need to be careful that we don't become health and fitness obsessed. Trying to, be, trying to keep fit can become an idol. And we're not immortal, as we've already thought. We're not immortal, we will all die, 
And no matter how well we look after our physical health, one day we will die. Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. <clears throat> so even more important than our physical health is what will happen to us when we die. We need to ask ourselves, how will we fare at the judgment? In Mark's Gospel, Mark 8.35, Jesus is recorded as talking, uh, talking of saving your life or losing your life. Would you like to save your life? Or do you want to save, or do you want to lose your life? Well, it, it seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Who doesn't want to save their life? But the surprising thing that we learn um, from Jesus is that we need to lose our life now to save it. So in the context that we've been thinking of, there's absolutely no point in doing everything to protect our physical health and then ignoring the need to prepare for eternity. Perhaps 1 Timothy 4, um, verses 7 and 8 summarizes it well, because it's not actually health now or preparation for eternity, but it's actually both, with the priority being our godliness. So 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 says this, Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So as we conclude, we ought to do what we can. We should do what we can to keep our physical health as good as possible. If we're blessed with good health, then we'll be less dependent on other people and we'll be able to also help look after other people and help others. And it's sadly true that too many early deaths or physical suffering are caused by poor lifestyle choices. Health services are overloaded with potentially preventable conditions. By making sensible decisions, we're likely to live longer and be in better health. And it's also a good witness of the care for our bodies, which are, after all, a gift to us from our Creator God. So I encourage you to listen to the Bible and to contemporary medical thought and to try to honour God by making good lifestyle choices to benefit your health. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us our bodies and that you've uh, given us wise advice in the Bible and that we also learn through contemporary medical uh, thought how we should best live to try to look after these bodies that you've given us. Thank you that... Uh, we have them, but Lord, we know too that they will, as we've been thinking, one day, well, they are already, they'll be wearing out, and one day they will give up. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to have the right perspective of looking after ourselves now, but also preparing for the future when we look forward to that day when, as we were thinking earlier, we'll be clothed in a new body and we will have a resurrection body. Please help us to look forward to that day, but in the meantime, to live wisely for you in this world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.